Well, what are we hunting today, Ephraim? Possum, squirrel, some other one of your relatives? <laughs> no, Mr. Can't Blow His Nose Without a Kleenex. <laughs> we are hunting bear. Bear? Well, call me stupid, but why are we hunting bear? Well, stupid. <laughs> Just asking him to kill himself doesn't seem to be working. Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a whooping? Whoa. No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast. This is Luigi, and I always record these podcasts on an empty stomach. That way, the alcohol hits me harder. <laughs> Daniel Gunter was a man, was a big man. <laughs> Chris Gunter here. Hey, Chris. How's it going, bud? I'm doing great. I'm uh, happy to be back. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since uh, our listeners have heard us on the Married with Children podcast. Right. So today we're reviewing Barely Men, Season 10, Episode 11. Original air date, December 3rd, 1995. Al and Bud go on a bear hunt in the woods to prove they're as manly as Peggy's father, Ephraim, so he can take back Peggy's unseen mother. Al and Bud bring back what they think is a dead bear they found in the woods, but they are in for a big surprise when the bear wakes up from hibernation and wrecks havoc on them and the city. Director, Jerry Cohen. Writer, Russell Marcus. Special guest stars. Tim Conway as Ephraim Wanker. Kathleen Freeman as the voice of Peg's mom. Frank Lloyd as Vendor, and we all remember him as Norris. Oh, yeah. Sure is, huh? Angelo Vacco as Gang Guy. Vicky E. Milburn as Mamie. Lucky the Dog as Lucky the Dog. And Kim Weisskopf voices the voice of Lucky. Now, Chris, I mean, who is Vicky Milburn, Mamie? I, I'm, I'm trying to scratch my head as to whom, who she is. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, how do you spell? Is it just just how it sounds? Vicky Melbourne. Vicky M I L B O U R N E. Vicky Melbourne. Mamie. I'm trying to think. I mean, is it one of the strippers that we I, see? You know, that's what I was thinking. End? One of the women that runs out in the end. I was trying to look up to see a. I'm not finding. I mean, I find there's a. It seems that married with children is her only credit. Yeah, I mean, I'm finding a lady that consistently comes up, but she doesn't really look like a. Like a stripper. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean that in a mean way, but she <laughs> she doesn't look like a stripper. Yeah, just, you know, right, just trying to figure out, you know, who she was in the episode. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, because I'm trying to think right. it was, it, there in the, in the street fight, it was all men, so you can eliminate that scene. You have all the women at the end that were the stripper. I mean, it, I would say it almost has to be one of the strippers. All right. All right. <laughs> well... I mean, we could throw that out to our uh, fan uh, fan base. It's like if you can identify who Vicky Milburn is in the episode, <laughs> we'd appreciate it. Yeah, I, I bet I bet Annabelle can figure it out. She always has a way of figuring things out. 
Annabelle, uh, I would say definitely. Tonight, a wild bears loose in Chicago. Which direction did he go? And Al's gonna hunt him down Bundy style. Yogi's with us, man. So beat it. Married with children. Any last words, punk? Yeah, your wife is good in bed. So you're a liar, too. A brand new episode next. The title of this episode is Barely Men. So the way that barely is spelled is bear, as in a bear from the woods. But I think it's a pun on the word barely. In other words, almost men, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> in other words, barely men, ba- you know, bears versus, you know, people who are, you know, men who are almost men. Right. Uh, I think that's the pun on the title for this episode. I mean, usually we get uh, some sort of movie or television show reference, right? Or a song, but this one is pretty straightforward this time. <laughs> so to our audience, uh, you're listening to this, at least if we're on schedule, at the end of January. But Chris, you know, I guess before we get started, I just wanted to take a few minutes because you heard us on Blonde and Blonder, and you also heard us on uh, The Two That Got Away, and Chris on the Lisa uh, Picot interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was a few weeks ago, but we're recording this after. And those episodes, by the way, were recorded before the episode with Michael Moyer. So I thought it would be cool for us to talk about our impressions from that episode. So Chris, I mean, you played a really big part in getting that episode together. So I just want to thank you on the air for that. Oh, absolutely, man. I I, I can't even believe it happened. (laughs) I'm looking back at it now. It was uh, something, you know, it, I, really, it was a team effort. I mean, we, we worked on it as a team for a little over a year. You know, I just, I happened to be the one that, that Rose Moyer uh, responded to, <laughs> you know, on Instagram. But we worked as a team for, I think it was about God, 13, 14 months, something like that, to, to get the, the, the questions in order and uh, get him on board, get her on board, get him on board, and, you know, to set up a time and place, you know, to do the interview. Uh, and it, it came out better than any of us could have ever imagined. It's, um, it's amazing that we were able to, to get that interview and, and, and it went over so well. I, uh, I can't even believe it happened. And, and Michael Moyer is just like the most down to earth guy. I mean, it's like when you, through the email exchanges I had with him, he, he seems like the type of guy you'd, you'd run into, in the fruits and vegetables section at Walmart or something, you know, it's like, Hey, how about these bananas or apples or whatever, you know, <laughs> he's uh, he's very down to earth and very easygoing. I mean, it, it was, uh, you know, completely surreal for me because, um, I mean, I did get to chat with him very briefly, but for me in the no pot to peas in episode, you know, I had made this assumption about, uh, you know, Al being a shoe salesman because of this clip I had found, uh, about, um, Don Rickles on the Carol Burnett show. And, you know, like my assumption at the point was, it's like, you know, what was the inspiration for Al Bundy's profession? And yeah, as I've mentioned before on this podcast, I probably, I've been thinking about this for well over 30 years because, you know, the fact that, you know, how he destroys the profession of shoe salesman so many times right, (laughs) on the show, like, you know, like, where does it come from? And, you know, that to me was like a question that was never answered. And I made some assumptions. And, you know, I think amongst all of us, it's like when I presented it to everyone, they were like, yeah, I mean, this seems to make sense. But hearing it from the horse's mouth and hearing the story about this poor real life shoe salesman, the traveling shoe salesman, you know, he had encountered in his life. Mm -hmm. I mean, that made it for me 
Like, I mean, just to get that question answered, it's like I can die a happy man. Yeah. So. <laughs> and you know, that's and, and you're right. And to me, that was the coolest thing about the interview is at, at, within our fan base and fandom and such, you know, we there's always different stories circulating. Where I, well, I heard Bud and Kelly were originally supposed to be this or that, or I heard that a remake or a reboot was in the works, or I heard this or I heard that. Well, you know, rumors are rumors, but when you hear it directly from the horse's mouth, well, Bud was originally supposed to be this, and Al was originally supposed to be that. Well, you know, it's not rumors anymore. It's fact. <laughs> you can you can mail it in. When you hear it from Michael Moyer, you can mail it in as fact. One of the questions that was asked was, the, I mean, and I, I had asked this question uh, because I'd, I had listened to an interview with the Museum of Television and Radio mm-hmm. of Jimmy J.J. Walker. Uh-huh. And he had said that one of the rumors were that the Bundys were supposed to have been a black family. Right. And, you know, so we, when we asked the question and he was like, no, yeah. it's like, I mean, they couldn't have been. Right. You know, because he said, otherwise I would have been KKK man of the year. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, and and I like I, I'm listening to this. It's like, OK, I mean, it makes sense. But again, you know, I mean, I assumed listening, hearing it from Jimmy Walker that it was true, right? right? Because Jimmy Walker and he had, you know, and Michael had interacted with each other. Yeah. So like, to me, like getting those types of questions answered, uh, I know like for, you know, for my, for myself and I know for like Annabelle <laughs> who was asking some of the questions, I mean, this was like a dream come true to like, you know, really get into his head and understand, you know, some of these things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, um, I liked how he talked about that and I liked how he talked about, you know, how he got his career start and, just the struggles of um, being a, a young writer and uh, coming in midway through a, a, a series of good times that he came in in the middle and talked about, you know, just the struggles of being a young, you know, he, he talked about being the struggles of, of being a young African-American writer. It's like, well, you can write black, but can you write white and, and that type of thing. So that was really interesting. And, and yet the other thing I really liked is, um, you know, we have, beloved characters in the Married with Children uh, franchise, you know, Griff and Bob Rooney, Ike, Gary, Amber, uh, Officer Dan, so on and so forth. But the elephant in the room is always Seven. He's the character that we loathe. And the question was always, you know, why was Seven introduced? Why was Seven ever even brought into the series? And Michael Moyer answered that as well. You know, it was a, it was a, a network thing. And, and that was our assumption. I mean, yeah. especially Stephen Scott, you know, I think, you know, he, he was really, he wanted that question in. So, I mean, I give right. him credit yeah. for that. But for the fans out there, if you listen to my first uh, appearance on the podcast, which was at the end of season six, and when I talked about my Married with Children story, what I'll say is one of the comments that I had made back then was what I really enjoyed about Married with Children you know, and I say this time and time again, is the writing. And Michael had said in the interview, really, I mean, the unsung heroes of the of the show were the writers, you know, because it's like at the end of the day, we don't see them on screen. We just see these names on there, you know, and talking about the writing process and how really the show was written more as an ensemble, like very Dick, you know, he said very Dick Van Dyke-ish. Yeah. You know, for those of you who've watched that show, but it's like, you know, you're getting the idea from a Stacey Lip or a Larry Jacobson or a Ralph Farquhar. Mm-hmm. And then this whole team of writers pretty much putting this thing together. And comedy is not easy to write because, you know, 
even like Steven Scott had mentioned, like most comedy is bad. Yeah. Like, you know, yep. and it's like, it really takes a lot of work to make things funny. Right. And to, and to do it in such a rapid fire way. I mean, I, the way I describe it is like with um, Rodney Dangerfield, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was like machine gun fire when it came to jokes. It's like, you know, pretty much to like, you know, have someone die of laughing, you know, in, the, in yeah. his 45 minute routine. Yep. But to do that on television and to do it consistently, that requires talent. I mean, the actors are up there and they're just following the script. I mean, if, if, if you listen to interviews of, you know, whether it's Ed O'Neill or Katie Segal or Christina Applegate, many times what they'll say is, is that, you know, there was very little improv on Married with Children. Right. They had to follow the script. Yeah. You know, and the script makes it funny. Now, I mean, they, as the actors, bring the character to life. I uh-huh. mean, for all the visual cues that we see, but that's always what made the show special to me. Yeah. Yeah, you know, definitely. And, you know, and, and there are good episodes and there are duds. Yeah. <laughs> right, Chris? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to, I think we're not to get ahead, but I think we're going to touch on that a little bit with this episode. But yeah, you know, it's, it's, I think you hit the nail on the head. It, it comedy is difficult. it's hard to do week after week, month after month, year after year. There's a fine line with with, with every show or movie or whatever, you know, there's a fine line between funny and when you, when you, if you force it, it crosses over into the area of like stupidity, you know, and, and there's a lot of examples of this, you know, that like uh, a lot of people feel that like Adam Sandler movies are either hit or miss, you know, some of them are, incredible some you know some are comedy gold and some are stupid same with like i feel that way with will ferrell yeah will ferrell uh, jim carrey uh, a lot of these guys their movies some some of their movies are masterpieces i mean just comedy gold and then the other ones cross over into stupidity you know just (laughs) it's just too much it gets dumb so comedy is hard no doubt about that yeah like i said and good good or really what should be great dialogue yeah and, you know, as we get into this episode, one of the things that, you know, Michael had said in the interview as well, uh, again, not maybe some, some stuff we could talk about when we get to the season wrap up show, is that, I mean, you had mentioned, Chris, about the show running out of gas. And I think, you know, Michael really acknowledged that in the interview as well. I mean, as time goes on, it, you know, what he said was the, the show had had pretty much explored all of these avenues, you know, and trying to find new nuggets of things to start a show with, mm-hmm. you know, in terms, in terms of a situation yep. got harder and harder. So <laughs> he said that instead of jumping the shark, I mean, they were pole vaulting the ocean. Yep. <laughs> was this phrase. So I feel like there was a lot of that in this episode of barely men. And they were also treading some ground that we had, uh, explored in earlier seasons yep definitely yeah I, I mean i agree with everything you just said you know we <clears throat> we've we've touched on this a handful of times before you know uh, we're in the third and, and final act of um of the series seasons 9 10 and 11 i classify as the third and final act and to me it was around the midway point of season 10 where you really started to see the show run out of gas and and, and that's not an indictment on Married with Children or the writing or anything. I mean, I, I challenge anyone to find a show that 10 seasons in is still as fresh as what it was in, you know, seasons one, two, and three, and four. Well, the thing, I guess, that saved Married with Children for the most part in the latter seasons is they introduced a lot of really good characters that we know and love. 
And in season 10, they introduced a couple of new ones, you know, Ephraim and Peggy's mom. But I feel like they sort of missed the boat with those two. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk about that, about that a little more as we get into the episode. But for the most part, I haven't been much of a fan of those two. With the exception of the Christmas episode. The Christmas episode with Peg's mom is very, very good. Uh, I think everybody pretty much likes that one. <laughs> never, I've never been a fan of Ep Ephraim too much. I thought he was just too goofy and too corny. But we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. Yeah, and, you know, the last thing I'll say about this is, you know, Chris, in, in my analysis, uh, when I was uh, officially part of the research team, one of the things I had said to Alex, and so this is before we took over the podcast, he had asked the question, it's like, when do you think the show jumped the shark? And, you know, I had analyzed all of the scripts as I was putting these notes together for him. And I pretty much put my finger on the middle of season 10. Yep. Yep. I said, you know, I said it, it, that's when it appears that, at least to me, again, from reading the script, that the writing was no longer fresh. Right. It was the same jokes, you know, pretty much setting, not treading, you know, it's like, well, I guess the, the term is like, you know, you're treading the same uh, path mm -hmm. that had been done before. So the freshness had gone away. I mean, it's not to say that they're not some great episodes or not some funny episodes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, come up. Absolutely. But it, it's like, yeah, there's maybe one good one and probably two or three duds. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, season 10 certainly has its um, its strong points. You know, I was lucky enough last week to uh, join uh, Stephen and Tyler for Dud Bowl Part 2. You know, that episode's a masterpiece. You know, I gave that episode a five. That's um, one of my, uh, pro probably a top... 20 in the series, I would say. You know, if I'm rank ranking 1 through 20, that's probably a top 20 episode for me. So, yeah. But as you said, you know, for every five, we'll get two or three 2.5s or threes. So, right. And, you know, Chris, I would agree with you. Like, had I reviewed that episode, I probably would have gone with a five. Yeah. It's excellent. Yeah. In season 11, I mean, not to jump ahead, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of uh, good episodes. Uh, for example, Crimes Against Obesity, I think, is a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. And that was really like almost like a reflection type of episode. Like it was like a flashback type of episode, but it was done very well. Yep. Uh, I don't know who will be reviewing that when we get to it, but uh, <laughs> uh, stay tuned in uh, 2022. Yep. Anyway, so let's move back and we'll go back to December 3rd of 1995. So let's get started with Barely Men. So we open the episode with the voice of Peg's mom. Margaret, I'm down to my last bite of lunch. Where the hell's my dinner? Coming, Mom. I'm just trying to add some fruit to make sure you have a balanced diet. Well, make it quick. My stomach is starting to growl. Beer. I don't think the foundation can hold another one of Grandma's belly quakes. Yeah, she'll calm down soon. I put some Valium in with the mixed nuts. Hey, Grandma! Pull it up on the count of three, okay? One, two... Hey, kid! Get off my ham! to the basement, you should probably use the stairs. 
Now, Peg and Kelly are putting in uh, what appears to be an apple inside of a pig. <laughs> so this is how they make up a, uh, a balanced diet for uh, uh, Mrs. Wanker. I don't know if you noticed this, uh, Chris, but uh, when Kelly walks out to put the um, pig on that, I don't, what do you call it? I guess a dumbwaiter or something like that? Yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> the person... Who's back? It looks like it's Bud. Whose back is to the camera? Right, that's is not, not really David. That's it's not, not David, David Faustino. Faustino. Yeah, that's not him. I noticed that too. Because I guess, like you know, the fact that they were picking him up. Yeah. They had to make sure that uh, he didn't get hurt. Right. And and then obviously we see that dummy fall down. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's you know, for the most part, actors don't do stunts at all. I mean, there's a few exceptions, but even something as simple as being lifted up by a blanket and dropped. A, you know, I guess potentially dropped a couple of feet is considered a stunt. <laughs> and most actors don't do their own stunts. <laughs> it's just kind right. of one of those union things, I guess. But yeah, the dummy, man, <laughs> that got a laugh out of me. I always laugh at that because it's... That, to me, that's one joke. No matter how many times they rehash it, I always laugh. And you know, one of the things I'll say is that Peg's mom is, is really the seven of season 10. The fact that she's up there, I mean, like she has her pretty much like her zingers. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, if they had Kathleen Freeman record her dialogue off camera, like in the sense that she may not have even needed to be on, on the set. Like she could have probably recorded this from home. Yeah. You know, back then. Yeah. Uh, because we don't see her. So, I mean, I, I assume that she doesn't need, necessarily need to be on on set. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. You make a good point that she does have her zingers. Uh, I, I'll say that. I'm not really a fan of, of just the idea of her moving in with the Bundys. I thought that was a little silly, frankly, but she does have her zingers that are good. And, uh, you know, the Christmas episode that I mentioned earlier stands out. That one, oh, I can't believe it's butter. Yeah, I can't believe it's butter. Yeah, that that's a very good episode. <laughs> and, you know, she's obviously a, a central figure in that. Yeah. And that'll be two weeks from now. Yeah. So in comes Al. Hey, Peg. <laughs> you know what I was dreaming about at work today? Meow. Yes, Peg. Was I in bed? Yes, you were. In fact, I tied you up. Oh, well, that sounds so kinky, Al. What were you doing? Cindy Crawford. <laughs> So Al says that he was uh, dreaming about Peg at work. <laughs> I mean, and, and you almost see that setup coming when he says, well, you know, <laughs> it's like I tied you up, right? Right. And you can see like Peg, you know, she's getting all hot and bothered. She's like, oh, that's so kinky. Right. right. You know, you know that, you know, this is going to end with some supermodel or <laughs> someone. <laughs> all right. And, and who was she this time? Cindy Crawford. <laughs> Cindy Crawford is an American model and actress. Her years of success at modeling made her an international celebrity that have led to roles in television and film and work as a spokesperson. During the 1980s and 1990s, Crawford was among the most popular supermodels and ubiquitous presence on magazine covers, runways, and in fashion campaigns. And at this point in time, she was just shy of 30 years old. Uh, you know, what's amazing is, you know, 25 years later, and she's like in her mid-50s, I mean, she still looks the same. Yeah. It's amazing how, like, you know, everything's, day when you watch a show, it's almost like a time capsule of the period 
especially Married with Children, which has so much pop culture, particularly in the second half of the show's run. So, like, if the show were made nowadays, uh, I'm trying to figure out, like, what models would they would they have on there? Like, I can imagine, I don't know, what, what do you think, Luigi? If, if Married with Children were running, let's say, from 2015 through um, 2027, you know, I was like, what models would they have on there? You You figure... Probably, I'm sure there would probably be lots of mentions of like the Kardashians and such, because <laughs> they're so their names are so big now. Yeah, you know, and Chris, I don't know if you remember, uh, I did a podcast for uh, two of my friends who have a podcast on uh, for people with eating disorders. It's called the Hunger Trap Podcast. Yeah, sure do. And on that podcast. One of the questions was like, you know, we sort of went back to the 1980s and, and they sort of had me on because like I remember television in the 1980s because that was what I did back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, the irony is, is that after Married with Children ended in the mid 90s, like I really stopped watching television. So like my my knowledge of television of the 1980s and earlier is from, you know, that time period. It's like, and I really don't know like much modern television, but what I'll say about this time period is you had people like Cindy Crawford who were supermodels, right? right? And almost like everyone knew their name. Yeah. So in answer to your question, I think the difference with today is that media television is very fragmented. Yeah. One of the comments that I had made was, you know, married with children would bring in, in you know, around this time period, let's say 20 million viewers on a Sunday night. Yep. Right. Today, the Goldbergs, which is very popular sitcom on ABC, maybe brings in four. Yeah. Because, and it's not that the Goldbergs is lesser of a show than Married with Children. And I'll point out that All in the Family in, let's say, 1971, 1972, was bringing in 40 million. Right. I mean, it's just because of the fragmentation of television, but it's also the fragmentation of our culture. Yeah. And, you know, I don't mean that as a bad thing. I'm just saying it's like people today... A, you don't watch necessarily television live. Uh, you have a thousand stations that you can watch. Uh, you can be very specific in the type of programming that you want to watch. So nowadays you have, you know, Instagram models. Yep. You have models, maybe let's say that of, of with larger bodies. Yep. That you know it might be like a thing. So you know the error of the supermodel. Like, I mean, again, in the 90s, it would have been a Cindy Crawford, a Claudia Schiffer, Kate Moss. Those days are almost over because yep. now it's like, well, you know, if I don't like that look, I, there's other people who have that look out there. But yep. a, a supermodel like Cindy Crawford in terms of her ubiquity, like, I mean, she had Pepsi commercials. You know, she probably had the, the cover of a dozen magazines at the, sa- you know, at the same time. You know, like you don't see that anymore. Yep. Yeah, you know, you made about 10 really good points there. I'll, I'll first, first, let me start off. I just Googled most popular models uh, today, and you hit three of the 10 there just right off the... Well, uh, Cindy Crawford is still in the top 10, <laughs> even at her age. And then there's... Didn't you say Kate Moss, I think? And I think you said Claudia Schiffer. Right. So, that was her... That Right. Claudia Schiffer Claudia was Schiffer. very popular in the 90s. You don't hear as much about her today. There's a Heidi Klum, Tyra Banks, Kendall Jenner. That's one of the Kardashians. Oh, yeah. Rosie Huntington-Whitley. She was in one of the Transformers movies. Ashley Graham. So these are people that 
Married with Children were made nowadays, you might either see them make guest appearances or you might hear references to them. <laughs> so, and the other thing that you mentioned, there's so many like wannabe models now, they call them Instagram models or whatever else models. It's like you can turn on the news any day now and see some crazy story about an Instagram model either feuding with another model or an Instagram model being missing or something dumb to that effect. And it's like, wait a second, what, what, what's an Instagram model? Like, you know, five year, five or six years ago, I would have been like, what the hell is an Instagram model? <laughs> but it's a, it's a thing now, you know, and it's a, it's a profitable business for a lot of them. You know, they turn it into, <laughs> they turn it into a business. They can make money doing it. And then, uh, to your point on fragmented television, you're absolutely right. I mean, think about how many how many options there are to view shows and movies now. From basic cable to satellite television to, I mean, literally dozens of streaming options from Netflix to Hulu, Roku, Disney+, Plus, HBO Max. I'm sure I'm missing about a dozen, uh, you know, Fire Stick. I'm sure I'm missing many, many more, but you get the point. There's so many options. You you want to know what business is going to end up getting squeezed is probably movie theaters. Because especially during the COVID era, people got so used to streaming stuff at home. Who wants to go spend 15 or $20 potentially to see a single movie when you can just sit at home in your PJs on your couch and just pay a monthly subscription fee and watch all the movies that you want stream them at home absolutely and you know this COVID era if anything has brought about uh, what i call like technological change in a very short period of time in the pre-covid era you had a lot of people who might not necessarily want to adopt new technologies things like debit cards uh, <laughs> or um, even like technologies to work from home but you know now Everything has been forced to because of, you know, COVID and COVID restrictions, depending on, you know, where you live in the world. Yeah. Some are more strict than others. Well, now it's like a job that they used to say, well, you know, you have to come into the office. Now they could say, well, you can work from home. And we've become more of a cashless society yeah. as a result. And uh, even broadband in the last few years like you know for, for those who didn't necessarily have broadband or or didn't want to have cable it's like almost everyone now has some kind of streaming service or more than one right so you have all of these options and like one of your options may be to watch uh, like an old sitcom it might be married with children it might be cheers or or something right and it's like that's how you're enjoying maybe three months out of your year right maybe like you're binging the entire series of a show but what it's doing is it's taking away from the businesses like you described, right? Yeah. It, uh, it's taking away from the movie theaters. It's taking away from uh, shows that are being made today, like the modern day network shows. And when I say network, I'm not talking about ABC, Fox, NBC, or CBS anymore. I'm talking about MTV. I'm talking about uh, Bravo or, you know, or even some of these online things things netflix for example they have their own series yep you know and i think that i to me what i also will say is that i feel like the creativity in television whatever creativity there is out there is on television it's not in the movies the movies are just rehashing what i feel like older franchises mm -hmm. because 
I'll use the Ghostbusters movie, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I went to go see it, right? I did see it in the movie theater with my children. And what I'll say is that was, it was a good story. Yeah, I don't want to give it away for those of you who haven't seen it, but I'd say it was a great, it was not, not a good story. It was a great story. Yeah, I'll have to but check that out. the reason why it was made was, well, the people making it want to be guaranteed that you're going to make at least a hundred million dollars on it. Right. Because people will go see ghostbusters in the movie theaters. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. And it's almost, you're, you're guaranteed a certain amount of money just for the fan base. Yeah. Even if it's, even if it's a terrible film. Yep. And the thing is the movie, the, the movie business, they don't want to take a risk with something that is untested and potentially lose a lot of money trying to make it because these productions cost millions upon millions of dollars. So you don't want to be the, the, the producer who makes something that loses a hundred million dollars because nobody comes to see it. So that's why you go to these franchises from the past that at least have a fan base. Yeah, definitely. It's, that's something not a lot of people think about, but it's, it's risky to make a movie, you know, if it flops, it could, Especially if you're a small production company or something, if it flops, it could literally run you out of business. <laughs> so right. these bigger companies, they go with these remakes, basically, for lack of a better term. Anyway, so Al opens the refrigerator and it's empty. Hey, Peg, where's my beer? Maybe Cindy drank it. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> I said, I love Peg's line. Maybe Cindy drank it. Right. <laughs> Recycle those, please. Isn't that great, Al? She's trying to save the Earth. She is the Earth, Peg. <laughs> Peg, I'm telling you, me and the floorboards can't take any more of her. Al, why are you so negative about my mom? I love her, and the kids are thrilled that she's around. Dad, we hate Grandma. She must go. That's it. I'm calling a family meeting. All in favor of getting rid of Grandma, raise your hands. All opposed? It's unanimous. She goes. Have a heart, Al. If it wasn't for Mom, I wouldn't even be alive. So Al and the kids vote on what to do with grandma and they all vote to get rid of her, right? And, you know, this is a joke. It's like, you know, all in favor, you know, raise your hand. It's like all opposed. And Al looks at her and he says, it's unanimous. Right. And, you know, they've done a similar joke. All right, we're going to have a vote. I thought we were going to have a poll. All in favor of having your mother cook? Three. Opposed? None. <laughs> Like, again, to somebody like me who's seen all of these and now, you know, seeing this episode for the first time in December of 1995, you know, I'm catching on to this. Right. Like I say, like, this is the error for me where I was catching on to, like, wait a minute. I remember seeing this because, you know, by 1995, I'm watching the first one episodes on Sunday night. And I'm also watching reruns uh, during the week. You know, used to have... uh, you know, Married with Children on, I think it was like at 5 p.m., <laughs> you know, for an hour. There'd be two episodes a day on weekdays. So now I'm getting a heavy dose of reruns. Yeah. 
You know, it, it's interesting how some jokes, no matter how repetitive they get, they always hit and they're always funny and some just crash and burn. Like like that joke where they voted, I, I didn't really laugh, to be honest. I was like, all right, I could see how this was going to go and it just wasn't, it just didn't deliver. But Al and Peg going back and forth over sex, that's pretty much always funny. Bud having a rubber woman, you know, like that's always funny. Like no matter how many times he does it, you know, uh, Kelly being an idiot, so to speak, is always funny. But some of these, you know, secondary jokes that get repetitive aren't fun, aren't as funny anymore. <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, you can't repeat the like, you know, for example, like when Al looks at Peg and I'm sure if Annabelle was on, she could recall the episode <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. But when in the one where it's like, OK, you know, all in favor, raise your hands, like all opposed, you know, and he says none. And like, again, in this earlier episode, like. That was funny to me the first time I'm seeing it. But now it's like, well, they can't write the exact same joke with the exact same dialogue, yeah. even though you want to deliver it. So now they have to change the wording of it. And I'm sure maybe someone who's doing the script saying, like, we did that already, and this is the way we have to word it. Right? Like, we can't word it that way. So then it becomes less funny because, you know, you're, ha you're rehashing it. Yep. Anyway, so Peg tells Al that in order to get rid of Mom... Al needs to prove to Ephraim Wanker that Al is a man. Look, the only way that you are getting my mother out of this house is if my daddy comes and takes her home to Wanker. Peg, I've asked that idiot a million times to come take her back. He won't listen to me. Well, of course he won't. Wanker elders live by a very strict code. Mary fat, Mary family? <laughs> no, Al. The code is, only listen to someone who is as much man as you are. So, if you want mom out of this house, you are going to have to find a way to prove yourself to my dad. Hey, wait, 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 I got an idea. Now, what does grandpa love to do more than anything? Stand by the roadside and flash cars? <laughs> no, besides that, go hunting. Now, I think it's funny that one line where he says... Uh... What does grandpa love to do more than anything? Is this like stand by the roadside and flash cars? <laughs> uh, uh, good old uh, uh, Tim, Tim Conway. So they decide to go hunting. Bud, will you come on? You're slowing us down. <laughs> I think you could help me out here a little bit. All right, let me lighten your load. This trail mix here now, this is good stuff. You want some, Ephraim? No, no, no. I always hunt on an empty stomach. That way the alcohol hits you harder. Well, what are we hunting today, Ephraim? Possum, squirrel, some other one of your relatives? No, Mr. Can't Blow His Nose Without a Kleenex. We are hunting bear. Bear? Well, call me stupid, but why are we hunting bear? Well, stupid. <laughs> Just asking them to kill themselves doesn't seem to be working. So they decide to hunt bear. And, uh, you know, so what do you think of Tim Conway's delivery? Well, first of all, let me say I, I like... I I like Tim Conway as an actor. He's a very gifted actor. I mean, he's a character actor. He was in, I looked it up earlier, he was in over, he had, a, you know, over a hundred TV shows that he was in. 
very gifted, very accomplished actor. But the character that he plays in Married with Children, I'm just not a fan of. I found it to be a little little bit too corny and, and over the top. I don't know. And, which is weird because we've seen many of, of, of Peg's relatives in the past, and they were good, you know, and they were basically the same thing he is. They're basically, you know, hicks, for, la- for lack of a better term, or rednecks, whatever you want to call them. And we liked those, you know, back in season two, and then we saw, we saw some more in season uh, six, I believe it was, and then we saw some more in season seven, you know, when, when seven was introduced. And those were funny, but for some reason... When Tim Conway does it, which is ironic because he's a much more accomplished actor than the ones who played the <laughs> Peg's relatives before, I don't know. It just it just kind of fell flat for me. It came off a little bit too corny. And I think it may go back to what you said. It's the same old joke uh, again. Yeah, I mean, he's playing this country bumpkin redneck. Right. And I feel like Tim Conway is overacting. Yeah, I do too. Exactly. And he doesn't need to because he's a great actor. <laughs> That's the thing. Exactly. I mean, you know, I, I remember watching him on McHale's Navy, for example. I mean, he's in dozens of shows, whether he was like, you know, a star, you know, uh, co-star, or even if he was just a guest on a particular show. I mean, he, he has the delivery. and But it's like, I guess, even the, the actor has to deal with the material given him or her. Yep. Right? And the, the material here is... Is, is a little weak. Yeah, I agree. Like, for example, when he says, you know, call me stupid, like Bud says, you know, call me stupid, but are, why are we hunting bear? And he responds, well, stupid. <laughs> and just asking him to kill himself seems, that doesn't seem to be working. I mean, <laughs> ah, like, I'm, I'm like, okay, I, I, I get the joke. Yeah, it's like, I, I get the joke, but. Ugh. For some reason, it was funnier you know, when you said it. <laughs> This is nuts. Isn't there a, a nudie bar around Wanker we could take an approval man? Son, there is, but Wanker strippers are scarier than anything in these woods. <laughs> now listen, son, I was raised on the mean streets of Chicago. Nothing scares me. In the darkest realm of night, I've stared right in the face of hell. And I've said, Peg, can't you get some sleep? <laughs> so nothing scares me, boy. You're right, Dad. You're right. Let's go bag us a bear. Let's show this country codger what city smarts are all about. Oh, I wouldn't venture in there if I was you, boys. Chill out, Grandpa. Make us a fire. We're bringing home some dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Judging from the way those branches are broken, I'd say that there is a... Well, you know, and then Bud says, you know, isn't there a nudie bar that we could t- around Wanker we could prove like we're men? I mean, like, that's disjointed. Now, the joke that follows, it's like, you know, okay, Al says, but Wanker strippers are scarier than anything else in these woods. It's like, all right, I, I, I'll give it that one. But, I mean, the setup on that is is weak. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So Grandpa Wanker goes off and he says he's going to go catch a bear. I can't believe that worthless geezer left us here on our own. Well, to be fair, he left us a map. 
Unfortunately, it's a map of Epcot Center. <laughs> I think one of the funny things is, you know, well, to be fair, you know, uh, Al says the but, well, to be fair, he left us a map. Unfortunately, it's a map of Epcot Center. Yeah. <laughs> Epcot is a theme park at the Walt Disney World Resort in Bay Lake, Florida. It is owned and operated by the Walt Disney Company through its Parks, Experience, and Products Division. Inspired by an unrealized concept developed by Walt Disney, the park opened on October 1, 1982 as Epcot Center and was the second of four theme parks built by Walt Disney World after the Magic Kingdom. Spanning 305 acres, more than twice the size of the Magic Kingdom Park, Epcot is dedicated to the celebration of human achievement, namely technological innovation and international culture, and is often referred to as a permanent world's fair. Right. And for those of you who haven't been to Epcot, I think one of the one of the things I've had that, that sort of tickles my funny bone about Epcot is when you go to Epcot, pretty much there's a section for like most of these major countries of the world. Like there's a spot for like Germany and or Italy and uh, Spain and China and Japan. And you can go there and taste the foods from that country. And it's usually staffed by these, uh, I guess, college-age kids, right? Yeah. I assume you've been to Epcot, right? I have not, actually. I've never been to Epcot. I, I've never actually been to Walt really? Disney World. I've been to Universal Studios once, but never been to Disney or Epcot. Interesting. Okay, yeah, I, I went to Epcot for the first time, I'm going to say about oof, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, first and only time. But what I got out of that, uh, you know, so like when I saw that, I was like, all right, you know, and, and they almost like, like the Bellagio, like one of those hotels in Las Vegas. It's like they try to recreate like a street from like the country in question, right, that you're visiting. Right. And, you know, I've spoken to people and it's like, oh, well, you know, did you visit like, you know, Paris and uh, at Epcot? And I'm like, yeah, but I've also been to Paris. It's like, <laughs> and there's people who would rather go to the, you know, like let's say to the Paris in Epcot than uh, Paris, France, because yeah. it's like, well, it's like, you know, it's easier, it's a like quicker and... You know, I'm still in America. And I'm like, well, you know, then what? Yeah, <laughs> don't you, you want to travel? Yeah, you don't get to. But, I, get... but I'm just amazed at people who go year after year. I mean, to me, like, there's those those Disney uh, Disney files. Like, I mean, to them, like, their vacation every year is to go to the same place. Yeah. And see the same things over and over again. I'm like, I, I, I just don't get it. Well, you know, man, I, I some people are like that. I mean, I have flight attendant friends. <laughs> I think I mentioned this to you before. I have flight attendant friends that – Every layout, like they, they create these photo albums on, on Facebook and Instagram and all their photo albums look the same, whether, whether they're in Paris or, you know, Sydney, Australia or London, uh, Cape Town, South Africa or wherever, all their albums look the same. And it's them at the local bar or at the local club or whatever, (laughs) like. I'm like, dude, you're in Paris. Go to the Eiffel Tower. You're in Sydney. Go to the Sydney Opera House. Like, <laughs> some people just like what they like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I, I guess so. It's like, oh, you know, you end up like in Paris and you're looking for the local McDonald's to eat. Oh yeah, know? yeah. Just like the <laughs> when they went to, when they went to uh, London. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, no, I I, 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 I sort of understand that, but you know, I mean, like for myself, I mean, look, I know you've traveled the world, you know, with what you do, but like for me, like when I travel, it's like I like to experience something. It's like, hey, let me try some local cuisine, or, you know, also go off the beaten path. Like, you know, I, 
of course I want to go to a, you know the tourist places like the, the famous things to see like when I go to a new spot I mean like the last time I was in Europe I visited Vienna I thought that was beautiful you know I really enjoyed my time there but it's like, you know, what was I going to do? Like go to Vienna and, you know, go sit down at a McDonald's uh, right. or uh, try to look for Chinese food. <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously I want to eat local cuisine, yeah. right? Yeah. Wherever wherever I'm at, I try to my best to immerse myself in, you know, culture and food if possible. By the way, am I missing something? Why, why were they carrying knives instead of guns when they were hunting? Well, I guess you, you, you know, if you kill a bear... Now, when I was a kid, Chris, I worked in a butcher shop, right, okay. <laughs> in my summers. And uh, one of the things uh, my uncle, uh, who, <laughs> who I worked for for three summers, he taught me how to do was like to skin an animal, right? Okay. So I would skin lambs. Like my uncle had the only uh, Fiat with lambskin uh, seat covers, right, <laughs> which were homemade. <laughs> uh-huh. So I'm assuming like when you kill a bear. Now, I've never gone hunting. I've never fired a gun. You could tell I'm not from Texas, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I assume like when you shoot shoot a bear, uh, one of the things you would do is probably like maybe start cutting them up when you're in the in the woods, right? Maybe to re- to lighten the load. Yeah. You know, I assume like you would probably split them down, you know, split them and maybe cut out some meat or something. Yeah. So I, I that's one of my assumptions. Yeah. The more I think about it, I think it probably has something to do with not ruining the meat. I mean, I. Uh... Oh, I'm not a hunter. I certainly have experience, uh, plenty of experience with guns, but I'm not a hunter. But I'm going to assume this has something to do with not ruining the meat. I don't know. Just the way they were carrying those knives looked corny as heck. <laughs> All right. So now Al and Bud are in the sleeping bags, and uh, Al asks Bud how he's able to be comfortable. The important thing here, son, is to get some rest. First light, we'll find the car. We'll. Hit the road, track Grandpa down, and turn him into roadkill. Good night, son. Good night, Bob. Jeez, it's lumpier than sleeping with your mother. How come you're so comfortable, bud? Well, because I, uh... Brought an air mattress with me. <laughs> so we see a uh, a blow up doll. Yeah, this this the, probably got the, the biggest bag. laugh out of me the whole episode. It's it was kind of predictable and it's it's ridiculous, but it's funny. <laughs> oh, Bud, man, he can't go one night without having his doll with him. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I have a funny story about a doll, right? <laughs> about one of these blow-up dolls. I remember my high school uh, at graduation, right? So my when I was a freshman, I was asked to be a stage manager for uh, this, uh, for, for the seniors who were graduating that year, right? So, like, I'm sort of, like, dressed up in a... Um, I remember I was like in a bow tie and all that. I'm sitting down. I'm witnessing like my first high school graduation. Again, as a freshman, I'm just watching that. And, you know, and they had the band who was playing like Pomp and Circumstance and, you know, all that stuff that you would expect at a graduation ceremony, right? Mm-hmm. So as uh, the, you know, principal and the administration gets up to like do the speeches and all that, you know, you would see, you know, some of the kids like uh, blow up like a beach ball and like they're... 
And, and mind you, like Chris, my, my high school's graduating class was around between 600 and 650 kids a year, right? Wow. So you might see like three beach balls all of a sudden that are, you know, being flung around this huge auditorium. And you would have teachers sitting on every row effectively to try to like, you know, get this stuff back. So, you know, I'm witnessing like these beach balls go up. So somebody blows up one of these blow up dolls, right? <laughs> and, you know, the kids are like uh, effectively like, you know, bouncing it around like a beach ball. <laughs> I remember like, and it falls at the feet of like this, of this one of the band directors, right? Wow. And he's like frozen because like, what is he supposed to do? Pick this thing up. So like one of the teachers who was a Korean war vet, he grabs the thing <laughs> and pops it. Yeah. I bet that made everybody go wild. Oh, it did. And, you know, and the, the, the funny thing was in my head, I was thinking of ISIS at the time. <laughs> That's so funny. He, he means ISIS, the blow up doll, by the way. <laughs> Just, Correct. Right. We don't want to get we don't want to get flagged by someone. <laughs> uh, that's right. But, you know, the one thing I do want to point out is this is not ISIS. You know, because because I've said this before, Bud's ISIS is a blonde. Right. This is actually a brunette blow up doll. Right. He's cheating on me. <laughs> So Bud gets scared by an owl. Dad, I know we're city tough, and as an extra precaution, you hung your socks from the branch, but in case that bear does come back, I just want you to know, I love you, man. You're not getting my beer, Bud. Now try and get some sleep. All right, I'd sleep a lot better if I knew a little more about these woods. Well, what's there to know? You hid all the food from the bears in your sleeping bag, didn't you? Yeah, just like you told me. Fine, and everything will be all right. Good night, son. Good night. What's that? Just an owl. Good night. That's cool. Just uh, crickets, right? That's right. Nighty night. Good night. So in this scene, we hear the theme to Deliverance, and uh, this is a callback to uh, Seasons 3, a period piece, uh, also known as The Camping Show, Yeah. Uh, when Al and Steve uh, <laughs> do their own version of Dueling Banjos. Oh, uh, listen, Al. Remember last week we were talking about going fishing on your week off? Well, I rented us a cabin on a lake so loaded with fish they jump on your hook. It's just the way wilderness should be. There are no trespassing signs everywhere. There's 7-Eleven, 10 minutes away. <laughs> what do you think? What do I think? Bing, 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 bing. Bing, 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 bing. 
Wake up, Peg. If she hears me having a good time, she'll want some too. And then, like, he gets up and he starts uh, flinging shoes right into the woods. Right. And we see something come crashing down. Now, also, uh, one of the things happens, you know, like Al looks like he's like stabbing into that area. Uh huh. <laughs> and to me, that was a callback to the poppies by the tree episode, the second one. Yep. Remember when yep, like Al notes. has the plastic fork? Uh huh. Absolutely. That, that, I thought of that immediately when I was taking notes. So now they've captured this bear. And Al makes a reference to Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> I killed a bear! Son, do you realize what this means? This is an opportunity for us to show Grandpa that we're men. See, we track him down, we show him the bear, and he's got to take Jabba the Hutt back to the Star Wars below <laughs> she belongs. Son, what are you doing with it? <laughs> so Jabba the Hutt is a fictional character in the Star Wars franchise created by George Lucas. He is a large, slug-like alien known as a Hutt who, like many others of his species, operates as a powerful crime lord within the galaxy. Yeah, and you know the funny thing is there was a teacher in high school whose nickname was Jabba the Hutt. Oh, brother. Did the teacher know that? The, did the teacher know that was her name? Uh, I I don't know, but the, the thing is, the name was carved into her desk. Oh wow! And when I saw her, I had to agree. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I'm guessing she didn't like that nickname, or if she if she even knew about it. <laughs> uh, I, I I'm not sure. I never asked. I don't think I wanted to ask. But uh, anyway, uh, moving right along. So Al and Bud are inside the Dodge, and, and Bud is behind the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. Daniel Boone was a man. Was a man. <laughs> are we not men? Well, we are manly men. I can't wait to show Grandpa what we got. Uh, he's never going to believe we actually killed a bear. <laughs> Grandma Wagger was a woman. She's a big woman. With the breath of a wino and chins like a rhino was she. So they sing a song. Daniel Boone was a man. He was a big man. Right. And I figured it had to be something. And I just said, let me just uh, search YouTube like Daniel Boone theme song. And sure enough, it was the theme song to the action adventure television series starring Fess Parker that aired from September 4th, 1964 to May 7th, 1970 on NBC for 165 episodes. 
And then they, they, they do a modified version of that song where they substitute Daniel Boone for Grandma Wanker. I mean, and the other thing uh, I'll say about Daniel Boone, you remember back in uh, season four, Chris, yeah. uh, when Al and Steve take the kids camping and, you know, Al said that he was the great, great grandson of Daniel Bundy. Uh-huh. Hello, Mr. Bundy. We're ready to go camping. Well, have a good time. <laughs> Camping and a trapping with Al Daniel Bundy. <laughs> Bud, did you sell your dad? Well, you're the only thing in this house we could spare. <laughs> Honey, this will be great for the kids. A camping and a trapping, a picking and a flicking. <laughs> you know, you can have a toe jamboree. Hey, Al. Oh, hi there, neighborhood tykes. Hey, it's the guy who gives us potatoes on Halloween. Steve, look what Bud did. Wilderness man and trapper learn how to survive. Bunny's trying to weasel out of the deal. How can you disappoint these kids, Al? Look at their innocent little faces. <laughs> Tell you what, I'll take you, little fellas. Yeah! yeah! But you're not the great-great-grandson of Daniel Bundy. That's true. My ancestors could read and write. <laughs> oh, come on, Al. If you trap too many bars to carry home, I'll hit you. I would rather slam my nose in a car door. I would rather have a proctologist named Dr. Hook. I would rather watch Roseanne Barr do a striptease than take these little booger machines camping. Well, good, honey. Then we can spend the whole day together snuggling. Up, campers! Let's go get us some gear. Chip in for gas and get me the hell out of here. Have a good time, Dad. Uh, not so fast, Daniel Jr. See, if I'm a going, you're a going. The only difference is I'm a coming back. So I'm assuming that was, you know, again, that was a reference to Daniel Boone. So, you know, we sort of treaded this road before. Yeah. Hey, Hey, by the way, I want I wanted to say, um, you know, when they're sitting in the car there, obviously the bear wakes up. Is it just me or was that bear costume really corny and fake looking? <laughs> oh, it's terrible. I couldn't believe they couldn't either A, figure out a way to get a more realistic looking costume or B, 
Uh, of course, they can't put the real bear back there just for safety of the actors. But like, I don't know, set up a green screen somehow and show the real bear or <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I thought that looked ridiculously corny. <laughs> I mean, that that's a great point because this is television in the 90s. Yeah. And, uh, you know, CGI is still not available. Yeah. But they had green screens and stuff. I mean. And probably would have taken too much time and too much money to do green screen. I, that's my assumption. Oh, okay, yeah. Because, like, for example, you know, like, you know, when we see the bear in the Bundy living room coming up, it's almost like, well, I'm sure they had, like, an animal trainer, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that was shot probably during the week. Like, you know, you had no actors on the stage, right? right. You're not going to shoot that in real time. Yeah. Like, with, in front of a studio audience. <laughs> yeah. So now we cut back to the Bundy living room. And Kelly is loading the refrigerator with beer. <laughs> Daddy is gonna be so happy we got him all this beer. But yeah, I don't understand yeah. why it costs 50 bucks. <laughs> well, it was $20 for the beer, and then there was the $30 that I tipped the clerk for carding me. <laughs> hey, Mom, do you think Dad's gonna be successful in getting Grandma and Grandpa back together? Yeah, I hope so. They used to be so happy. <laughs> I mean, look, here's a picture of Grandpa on a seesaw. Oh. Now, here's one of Grandma getting on the seesaw. <laughs> oh, and here's Grandpa flying over the power lines. <laughs> oh, look, they're wedding photos. Yeah. There's Grandma taking the first bite of the wedding cake, which also happened to be the last bite of the cake. <laughs> Mom, do you think that'll ever happen to me? What, getting married? No, gaining 700 pounds. <laughs> the beer cost 20 bucks, and Peg uh, tipped the kid uh, $30 for carding her. <laughs> you know, that's one of those tactics that, uh, you know, whenever you go to a bar, like, uh, um, you know, like women who are like, you know, older than in their 20s, they, they love when they say it's like, oh, I got carded. <laughs> what I'll say, sometimes that's done, you know, on purpose to get that extra tip, right? Yep. Chris, what you say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, people, I mean, I've had tip jobs before. <laughs> you, you know, you do whatever you can to earn that tip, pretty much. Yeah, and Kelly's got a great line in this uh, section where she says, you know, do you think it'll ever happen to me? <laughs> like, you know, getting married? No, it was like gaining 700 pounds. A wheelbarrow. <laughs> oh, Daddy. Al did it. He convinced you he was a man. Yes, sir. He proved to me that he can tame wild animals better than Siegfried and Roy put together. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a picture I'm trying to get out of my head right now. Then it's like, you know, Kelly has like such a, like, I mean, look, there's, there's great Kellyisms, but this is a stupid one. It's like, look what we got. And she's like, wow, cool, a wheelbarrow. I mean, like, <laughs> really? I mean, I feel like it could have been a better joke than that. Right? Yeah, I mean, as dumb as Kelly is, surely she would notice it's weird that they are, you know, cool that they brought a bear into the living room. <laughs> so now we have a reference to Siegfried and Roy. Yeah, so Siegfried and Roy are a German-American duo of magicians and entertainers who became known for their appearances with white lions and white tigers. 
From 1990 until Roy's career-ending Tiger injury on October 3, 2003, the duo formed Siegfried and Roy at the Mirage Resort and Casino, which was regarded as the most visited show in Las Vegas, Nevada. From August 2004 to May 2005, Siegfried and Roy are, were executive producers of Father of the Pride. And, uh, you know, someone must have been a fan of this duo since they were mentioned four times on Married with Children. Of course, I'm talking about Season 6, Episode 9, Kelly Does Hollywood. Season 7, Episode 26, The Proposition. Season 9, Episode 16, Get the Dodge Out of Hell. And finally, Season 10, Episode 11, Barely Men. And Roy Horn, a born Uwe Ludwig Horn, he died on May 8th, 2020, due to complications from COVID-19. He was 75 years old. Hmm. Peyton, I killed him with these bare hands. Oh, Al. I always knew that your feet were lethal, but I had no idea. Peg, Peg, please, I've been in the woods. I'm dirty enough. Besides, Ephraim and I had a little discussion, and he's decided to do something. Margaret, I have come to pick up my darling baby bride. Oh, Daddy, you really do miss her, don't you? I do. <laughs> I wouldn't want to see her in a bikini again, but I do miss her. Yeah, that's why I've come to hang a wide load banner on her backside and ride her on home. Get her packed before Grandpa changes his mind. Mm-hmm. Effie, darling, is that you? Yeah, Mama, I'm coming to free Willie. <laughs> and Ephraim Wanker makes a reference to Free Willie, and we talked about Free Willie earlier this season. I believe that was Requiem for a Dead Briard. Right. All right, now Lucky has some lines. Life bear, big life bear. If I were Lassie, I'd bark real loud and alert the family. But since I haven't been fed in weeks, to hell with them. Bye-bye, bear. <laughs> and I have to give uh, credit to Lucky the dog there for, like, not flipping out. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about that till now. They actually did have a real bear and Lucky on the stage at the same time, huh? Right. <laughs> that's interesting. I, I had the episode playing in the back, in front of me here. Lucky and that real-life bear were within... I would say two and a half to three feet of each other tops. <laughs> and the two animals didn't like freak out or attack each other or growl or roar or anything. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. <laughs> like yeah. that dog trainer. The, yeah. I was just saying just kudos to the, to the, you know, both animal trainers. I assume, you know, lucky has a trainer and I'm sure the bear has a separate trainer. It's amazing that they were able to get those two within three feet or less of each other without like killing each other <laughs> you know yeah I mean? you know I, I yeah i mean for lucky it was steve ritt yeah you know, so I, I and the thing is you know i did look at the credits i was curious 
before we recorded. I'm like, you know, is the bear trainer credited and was not. But uh, I'm wondering is like, was that maybe a circus bear? Might have been. Right. Yeah. Like I, I'm just trying to figure out, like, again, put some. <laughs> I mean, that could have been really, if Lucky would have like barked at that bear, that could have been really, really bad. <laughs> you know? Right. But thankfully he didn't. <laughs> yeah. And he says, uh, if I were Lassie, I'd bark real loud and alert the family. But since I've been fed in weeks, the hell with them. <laughs> well, I guess that's last of the luggage. I got the fudge sickles here. I got the Klondike bars. I got the Eskimo pies. Well, I can hardly wait to get the little woman home. Yeah. <laughs> you better leave before her luggage melts. Don't worry, she'll have this scarf down before we get to the end of the driveway. So Kelly, Bud, and Al come down the stairs with Grandpa Wanker, carrying suitcases full of fudgesicles, Klondike bars, and Eskimo pies. More for her ravenous appetite. You know, again, we just have some jokes on that. Uh, and again, you know, Refrimi says that, uh, well, he'll have them scarfed down before we get to the end of the driveway, right? I mean... I mean, like, like Al would deliver a line like that with sarcasm, right? Yeah. But the the character of Ephraim Wanker has no sarcasm. Yeah. I mean, like, well, when he delivers it, it just doesn't come across as funny. Yeah. yeah I'm sorry to say it. Yeah. Anyway, so now they notice that the bear is gone. Uh, Al, uh, have you noticed something? Hmm? Big hairy animal. Oh, darn, bud, thank you. Peg, you got your hair done. It looks nice. <laughs> the bear is gone, Daniel Goon. <laughs> Wait a minute. Maybe Mr. He-Man didn't kill that bear after all. Maybe he was just hibernating. I know the difference between hibernating and dead. That bear was dead. My wife is hibernating. <laughs> And uh, Ephraim makes a reference to He-Man. So the reference to He-Man was of the American animated television series by Filmation, based on Mattel's toy line, Masters of the Universe. And the Masters of the Universe! I am Adam. Prince of Eternia and defender of the secrets of Castle Grayskull. This is Cringer, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic sword and said, By the power of Grayskull! became the mighty battle cat and I became He-Man the most powerful man in the universe only three others share this secret our friends the sorceress man at arms and Orko together we defend castle Grayskull from the evil forces of Skeletor And uh, this is from my era. So it made its television debut in September 1983 and ran until 1985, consisting of two seasons of 65 episodes each. 
And there was an animated movie, He-Man and She-Ra. And there was also a live action movie back in the 80s as well. So in come Marcy and Jefferson. Hey, Marcy, did you see some guy dragging off my dead bear? He's not dead, you chucklehead. He just violated my Mercedes. How do you know? Because we were in it. Marcy, are you okay? Oh, I'm all right. A little in shock and a little jealous. Jealous? Well, you should have seen him go and go and go and go. My God, if a car could smile. One thing I know for sure, tonight, Jefferson, we're playing Buick and the Beast. Uh, I, I, I don't know, Marcy. I may need some counseling. And, and, uh, I, I think you're going to have to do all the work for a while. I'm not, I'm not going to do it now. Well, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your menage a bear, but uh, Ephraim here has to forklift his bride across the threshold. Are you crazy? Leave that horned dog of a bear rampage in this city. Mama can wait. We got to track that bear down. So Marcy and Jefferson come in. And Marcy describes this bear having oral sex with her Mercedes. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way of describing it, right, Chris? <laughs> well, I was picturing it. Well, you're saying oral sex? I was picturing the bear. I interpreted that as the bear was like, I don't know, humping the gas tank or something. <laughs> I, I think she was uh, talking about mauling oh, the, the, okay. front gr- the front grill of the Mercedes. Oh, because, okay, okay. You, you know, see, I always... You sort, of see Pe- you, see, you sort of see, like, you know, Marcy and and, uh, and Peg, uh, like, you know, they're sort of grinning. Okay. Because I think that that's the insinuation. Okay. So I've, I've missed it. But, you know, like, what, what I don't understand is how is it that they, you know, they're disheveled. If they're inside the car, I mean... I've been to, for example, Six Flags, right? I don't know if the Six Flags by you has like a zoo attached to it. Uh-uh. So, yeah, so the Six Flags by me in New Jersey has like a, a, a zoo, like or animal park, whatever you want to call it. So you drive through and you have these giraffes and stuff. I mean, it's been a few years. I mean, like all of these animals that can sort of can come up to your car. Yeah. And the thing is, is that, I mean, these animals can't get into your car. Okay, I mean, like, they could theoretically jump on your hood and maybe do damage to it. But, I mean, none of these animals are strong enough to, like, let's say, break the glass or something without you at least being able to get away. So, like, how is it that they're traumatized? Like, you know, like that to me is like a little uh, plot in the um, in the script, you know, like, like a hole, excuse me, a hole in the plot of the script. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. I mean, I get for comedic effect that like they have to, they have to say something about it, and Marcy and Jefferson have to have some lines. But I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm at a loss here. Yeah, yeah. That that was weird. I think they just were, just yeah, you know, just trying to figure out a way to to get Marcy and Jefferson a a funny scene that's somehow related to the bear. But it just it just missed. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of the scene where you you remember in the the, the period piece, the camping episode, whenever. Uh, Steve and Marcy's, what was it, their Mercedes or BMW that was getting destroyed? No, it, it was a Mercedes. Mercedes, yeah. So 
I sort of feel like that. Yeah, but you remember, like, uh, was it the moose was peeing into the gas tank? Yeah, yeah. Like they were trying to, they were trying to recreate that, but it just that this joke just didn't land. Basically, it was a bear, a big one, with my name on it. There he is. That's a moose. The bear's over there spraying your tires. <laughs> Those are my Mercedes. Stop that. Bad. Bad bear. And the line, the reason why I'll go back to the oral sex was, he's like, oh, my God, if a car could smile. Right. That's the. Ah, uh, Okay. Like that, that to me, what it is. And then, like tonight, Jefferson, we're playing Buick and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> now that guy, I laughed at that one. That was pretty funny. That was see, that was that was good writing. Buick and the Beast. <laughs> well, you know something I had in my notes is Jerry Cohen is the director of this episode. Why is Amanda Burst only in, in one scene? It was it was kind of funny when I was watching this episode for the first time, or you know, for the first time in a while today. I assumed Amanda Burst was going to be the director because she's only in this one scene and has one, you know, just very brief appearance. And then when it came up that Jerry Cohen was the director, I was like, wow, why was she only in one scene? <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to point out two things about this episode. Number one, there's no B-plot. Right. And actually, you know, Chris, you you said this to me, you know, off uh, mic just before we started. Yeah. Right. Number one. Number two. They needed to do something with them. Like, in other words, Marcy and Jefferson have to have some dialogue. Yeah. So, like, I feel like they were shoehorned in. It's like, okay, well, you know, the neighbors, the wacky neighbors from next door have to have something. Yeah. That's number two. And actually, number three, there's a number three to this. Look at all of the scene changes you have in this. I mean, typically, like on a on one of the classic Married with Children episodes, you're spending most of most of the actions happening in that living room. Yeah. Here you go from the living room to the woods, back to the living room, out to the the street scene, which is what I call the Ray Ray street scene, which we'll get to in a little bit. Yep. But it's like, it's all, there's a lot of uh, scene changes. Yeah. So I figure the um, the set must have, I wonder what the set would have looked like that week, because you would have had to have had, what, four sets? Yeah. To deal with? Yeah, it, well, it's interesting because they have all these scene changes, but yet there's almost nothing for anyone to do except for Al, Bud, and Ephraim. I mean, Peg sits on the couch almost the entire episode. Kelly just hangs out in the living room. We see Jefferson and Marcy on camera for, what, 90 seconds maybe, tops? <laughs> it's right. it's interesting that despite all those... <laughs> Despite all of the the scene changes, like what they should have done is obviously this is an Al Bud Ephraim episode, but they should have had the other, they should have had uh, Peg Kelly, Jefferson and Marcy like, uh, gee I don't know what playing a, a board game or watching TV or when uh, Al and Bud bring this bear home we're gonna skin it or we're gonna cook it or, you know, I don't know, take it to a taxidermy. I don't know. I'm just you pulling, throwing out ideas, but there really wasn't anything for anyone to do other than Al, Bud, and Ephraim, if you really think about it. Right. Well, I mean, I think when we get to our ratings, uh, we could talk more about this, but uh, like I said, I'm, I mean, so far, I'm not happy with this episode. Yeah. So now, you know, Ephraim realizes that this bear is gone and he's saying that he can't leave uh, a horn dog of a bear rampaging rampaging the city. He's like, mama can wait, right? (laughs) 
Now, you know, for Kelly's, now the follow-up now is, you know, Kelly's uh, stupid uh, joke that they had to do was they had to make a reference to Yogi Bear. Hey, you guys, I saw this documentary once where the park ranger captured the bear by putting out a picnic basket. (laughs) Kelly, did this documentary perhaps take place in Jellystone National Park? Did you see it too? <laughs> well, since there's nobody here who's man enough, I guess I'll have to track that bear down myself. Oh, Hannah L, promise me one thing. If anything happens to me, you take care of my bride forever and ever. <laughs> Bud, get in the car, we're going hunting again. <laughs> And I feel like that's been done before as well. Like, I mean, there have been references to Yogi Bear. But uh, for those of you who don't know, Yogi Bear is an anthropomorphic animal character who's appeared in numerous comic books, animated television shows, and films. And he made his debut in 1958 as a supporting character in the Huckleberry Hound show. And he had his own TV series uh, in the 60s. Yogi Bear is smarter than the average bear. Yogi Bear is always in the ranger's hair. At a picnic table you will find him there. Stopping down more dirty than the average bear. He will sleep till noon, but before it's dark, he'll have every picnic basket that's in jelly rock. Yogi has it better than a millionaire. Basket hearts, he's smarter than the average bear. And I remember watching this in, in reruns as a kid, you know, so one of my uh, favorite, uh, probably my top three favorite uh, uh, cartoon characters. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, Yogi Bear as a kid. And, you know, Yogi Bear is actually based on Ed Norton in terms of the way he speaks. I don't know if you ever realized that. Uh-uh. So, like, Fred Flintstone is based on Ralph Cramden, but Yogi Bear has the, sort of the same hat as Art Carney. Uh, playing Ed Norton. Okay. So that was like one of the one of the things about the characters. Okay. But, uh, I always uh, always liked that. Anyway, so Al and Bud and Ephraim go out hunting again. Hey, hey, Ephraim, slow down! We're not in the woods anymore. Talking about bear hunting is bear hunting. Now, why don't you ten fingered nose breathers just let me handle this? All right. <laughs> I got... Wait a minute. There he is. He's mine. No, something tells me I'm not in Wanker anymore. You can say that again. This is the city from the big city. My turf. Now we're gonna catch that bear. My way. Ephraim sees this woman dressed in a fur coat and jumps on her and <laughs> he gets maced. <laughs> uh, you also see like how like, you know, he's like a fish out of water. Yeah. So what is that? Like a pacer on the screen? I'm not sure what that is. Let me. That's uh, I, I think it's an AMC pacer from the 70s, maybe like a 73 pacer. 
I remember one time you, you, you asked me, yep, I think it's like a 73 or 74 pacer. Yeah, I'm not sure what that is. You're talking about the red car there? Yep. Yeah, I, don't know, I, I can't. I mean, it's before my time. I know Yo, that. <laughs> why, why, why didn't you Google that, Chris? Yeah, because I remember we talked about cars one time, like, you know, like in terms of what you saw on the road. So, you know, me being a little older than you, I remember older cars because they were still on the road when I was a kid. It definitely looks like the one on screen there. I can't find a red one online. All the all of them are like yellow and green. <laughs> they only make one color. <laughs> the first ten that came up were all yellow. Yeah, they were like you know. I mean, mostly like in 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 the in those early seventies, they were all like earth tones, right? That was really big back then. Okay. Yeah, it definitely looks. If it's if that's not the car, it's very similar. Put it that way. Yeah, maybe uh, one of our uh, fans, uh, some of our fans who are maybe in their 50s would remember. Maybe Stephen Scott can, you know, just eyeball it and give us the year. But I, it's definitely a pacer. Ephraim is a fish out of water, and Al talks about him now being in his turf, right? Uh-huh. When you look at this set, this set, Chris, looks to me the same as the set from Season 8, Episode 2. Uh, what is it, the, the Hood, the Kelly and the Boys or something like that? Yep. That was the name of the episode? Yep, a.k.a. the the Ray Ray set. <laughs> yeah, that was the first episode where the new podcast team, we, uh, we debuted, if you remember. That was, you and I had the third episode of season eight. Okay. But that was when myself, uh, Annabelle, Stephen, and Tyler uh, first recorded and also that set, like those steps that we see, I believe that the episode Guys and Dolls, when, when Steve and Al are looking for the Barbie dolls and they're pacing the city, like I feel like that's the exact same set. Yeah, yeah. I think it may be. It's interesting. I wonder yeah, there's if there's a scene uh, where like a cop. Yeah, I wonder if they just, um, oh yeah, where there's a cop in the window with like a stripper or something or a prostitute or something. Correct. Yeah. Yep. That's it. I, I wonder because I mean, that was what season two or three. That was a long time ago. So I mean, did they just re- correct? I mean, I, surely they didn't have all that stuff sitting around for you know seven or eight years. Did they just rebuild it from scratch or what? <laughs> yeah, and you know that was one of the things that uh, we brought up, like we spoke about earlier. Like I have a feeling that again, not. No, coming from Hollywood, but I have a feeling that there's probably some of these sets that are already pre-built. Yeah. And you probably call somebody and say, hey, like, I need a set of a bowling alley. Like, Yeah. You know, back in season nine, we reviewed Shoeless Al, which uh, we had the Puggy Weaver Memorial Cup. And then there, then there was the actual Puggy Weaver episode from season five. And that was the exact same set we, we noted. So I have a feeling that, you know, there's probably some of these places where you could rent a set that already, you know, <laughs> was pre-built. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm sure the director just tells, you know, the props guy, props and sets people be like, hey, we need a we need a bowling alley. Hey, we need a, a, a street scene that can be set up for, you know, a street fight or we need a, a nudie bar or, or a jiggly room or what have you. And they just, you know, they call their friends that work on other shows and make it happen. <laughs> Look, the bear's been here. <laughs> Which direction did he go? <laughs> I think I need some help. 
Are you really stuck in there? Yeah. <laughs> We see the scene where there's someone stuck in a hot dog cart upside down. <laughs> now, according to the Internet Movie Database, that's Frank Lloyd, who we all know as Norris, <laughs> who's been around since season one. I mean, we don't see his face, but he's stuck in the hot dog cart. <laughs> They're like, hey, welcome back. Like, we haven't seen you in a couple of years, a couple seasons, because <laughs> it's been a couple of seasons, hasn't it? It's been a few seasons. Yeah. Like, hey, welcome back to the show. We'll stick you upside down in a hot dog cart and won't even show your face. <laughs> now, you know, what I thought is a funny about that is just like the fact that, uh, you know, they had to steal the food from him, right? Right. <laughs> I was going to say, by the way, how the hell did a bear get put a man upside down in a hot dog cart anyways? Are we just... <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think he just jumped in. Like, you know, he was, he was scared. Like, he jumps into the cart. Oh, okay. I think that's what it is, but... Okay, like, you know, he uses his foot to point the direction that the bear had gone in, but it's like, how the hell is he going to know which direction the bear went since you know, he can't see? Right. Then he's stuck. You know, okay, there's the gag of, you know, uh, Al stealing the hot dogs. But, like, I feel like the way that that scene could have been done could have been a little more comedic. Like, there could have been more dialogue because effectively Norris, <laughs> the, a.k.a. the hot dog vendor, just says, like, two things. Yeah. I think he says, like, stuck and yeah. He's close. How can you tell? There's no human could possibly drink more than one Zima. <laughs> Al makes reference to Zima, and we've mentioned Zima before. He's saying, you know, so Zima was a clear malt liquor, carbonated beverage distributed by Coors Brewing Company. It was introduced in 1993 and was marketed as an alternative to beer. Uh, an example of what is now referred to as a cooler with 47 to 5.4% alcohol by volume. And it ceased production in October of 2008, but it's still marketed in Japan. So she stared deep into my eyes and said, hi. Nice hat. Nice arm. I replied suavely just to break the ice. What are you drinking? Zima. Zima. What is that? A beer? No, not like beer. Z, no zuds. Wine cooler? No. See for yourself. Zao. Disarming taste. Yet somewhat sophisticated. She smiled subtly at me and said, Say, what's your sign? Stop. So now we meet this group of punks on the steps. And I call these Ray Ray steps, right? Because they look identical yep. to that episode. Where's Ray Ray at? I thought he ruled the streets. <laughs> Dad, look, 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 look. Well, good evening, gentlemen. I see you've met our friend. Yogi's with us, man. So beat it. Yeah, get lost, buddy. Strand, man. But hold my coat. Oh. Hold our coats, Grandpa. Oh boy, uh, Al. <clears throat> why don't you let this one go? There's plenty of other bear in the W O D S. My turf. Any last words, punk? Yeah, your wife is good in bed. 
So you're a liar too. And again, like you know, and Yogi's with us now. You see, this is where, like, I like again, you have to suspend disbelief. It's like when when they have the bear in the car and when they're on the set, it looks like a stuffed bear. Uh-huh. Then you see the real bear on the street of the set, and then you have this stuffed bear, who is I assuming the same stuffed bear that they bring it run in the wheelbarrow with a hat, sitting on the steps. Right. Yeah. It's so I think going back to your point, you could you could you you. You couldn't have green screened it, right? Either green screened it or gotten a, like, they can make a stuffed animal that looks more realistic than that. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, they can make stuffed animals or, or right. costumes that look pretty freaking real. <laughs> that one just did not look realistic at right. all. That, that, I mean, that looked like the type of costume or like the quality costume that you would give like a five-year-old for Halloween or something, you know? <laughs> Didn't it? Right. Now, now, you know, one of my complaints on this scene is all right, you know, so this guy who is Angelo Vacco, you know, he insults Al and says, you know, he says, Yeah, you know, your wife is good in bed, so you're a liar too, right? <laughs> now, what I don't get here is Al got the crap kicked out of him by Ray Ray and his gang. Yeah. So now here's Al and Bud taking on what, six of them? Yeah. And and completely kicked the crap out of him. I mean, like either Al Gets the cat, the crap kicked out of him. Yep. Or he's like, you know, this. I'm gonna say like, you know, this almost like indestructible human, yeah. you know, like a superhuman <laughs> strength who can, you know, beat up like you know half a bar. Yeah. You know? I, I I don't get it. It's like, to me that that's like a question of character consistency. Like, what yeah. happened here with the character? Yeah, I mean, you think about it. We see. I mean, far far more often than not, he's like an indestructible guy. Usually, he's beating the hell out of people. There's a couple episodes where, I mean, you know, the Ray Ray episode, certainly he's getting killed in that episode. He's trying to think back. You know, there's the Valentine's Day episode where he's getting the card and the chocolate for uh, for Peg. I think we reviewed that one with um, Alyssa, didn't we? Al was getting beat up pretty good in that one, although he was he was getting his licks in too. But it's, it's a little inconsistent there. But I, I think it just had to do with timing. They didn't have time to film him getting beat up and whatever that at this point in the episode they just needed him to get a few punches in and that was it <laughs> so now so al shows that he's a man but now this proves that ephraim isn't a man that was really something thanks ephraim see ya see ya what do you mean see ya well we're going back to the house and collect your wife oh i'm not gonna do that al well what do you mean you're not gonna do it ephraim didn't i prove to you that I'm a real man? Yeah, but you also proved that I'm not one. And until I can be a man just like you, I don't deserve a little bride like Mama. <laughs> Wait a second, Ephraim. I mean, you're the most courageous man I know. Why, why you've seen that woman naked and you, you're still around to tell about it. <laughs> hey, I seen her in a nighty one time. My pupils are still dilated. <laughs> Those are kind words, Al, but... I know when I'm licked. Yeah, I'll come back for Mama sometime. And in the meantime, you just remember, she needs nine squares a day. And like you know, sort of like Al has again foiled his plan, right? Like I mean, again, like Al wasn't going to win, right? But I don't know. Like, what do you think? Uh, 
I, I think that's dumb and doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Al, Al has to prove he's a man in order to convince Ephraim to take his wife out of his house. And then when he does prove any, he's a man, he <laughs> Ephraim says, well, now I'm not man enough to, to have her. I mean, what? <laughs> How does it? I mean, I don't know. I, my, my biggest problem with this episode is that the, the main plot just is not good like it's you know for any episode to be a success you have to have a a strong a plot and then you have to have a a a, a b plot that's relatively strong too this one just didn't have either i mean the a plot didn't make any sense <laughs> and there really wasn't a b plot like i mean i al should just be like ephraim get your wife out of my house <laughs> T take your wife home <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, like take my wife, please. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, well, you know what I mean, though. I mean, well, you know, it's like you, you. I mean, you, well, imagine like when you were married, back when you were married. If your mother-in-law just moved into your house and refused to leave, I mean, <laughs> that's that's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'll tell you what doesn't make any sense to me is sort of the end of this episode. Yep, it ends abruptly and. Yeah. I knew we should have killed him in the woods when we had the chance. Wait, 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 wait a sec. Maybe all is not lost. Look. Yeah. Well, that's good, son, but we don't have any money. I don't think we'll be needing any. They look up and they see the nudie bar, right? Right. And, you know, Al says, oh, look. He says, oh, well, that you know, that's good. That's good, son. But we don't have any money. And then he says, I don't think we'll be needing any. And the thing is, this is what I don't understand. So you hear the bear roar. You see the four girls run out, mm -hmm. right? And then the bear pops out. But why are you going to go into a nudie bar if there's no strippers in there? Right. Right? Not to I mean, you know, it's like that whole scene is dumb. Like, it... like, like in other words, like you know, Bud and Al are saying that they don't want to catch the bear. They want to go into the nudie bar. Yeah. Because it's like they're saying is, I guess, like you know, there's no patrons in there because there's no money. But what they should have shown, to me, like if you really wanted to end the the episode correctly, you should have had guys running out of there, right? Exactly. Like guys carrying money running out of there. That way, then, like they could go in there, and it's like theoretically, there's strippers in there. Yep. Right. Or maybe like ended the episode with having them sitting in the nudie bar with the strippers yep. and the rest of the nudie bar being empty because all of the male patrons ran out because of the bear. Right. Yep. Like, you know, complete the joke. So yeah. that's or hell, maybe even the bear sitting in there with them and one of the strippers giving the bear a lap. Right. And maybe he's giving him a Zima. Yeah. <laughs> the bear's got a Zima. And that would have been funny. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, the 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 ending there just was abrupt and I, I don't know it was just a weird way to end the episode. No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel. Just go to channels and search up Married with Children podcast. 
join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. Okay, and we're back. So, Chris, on a scale of one to five, how many stuffed bears do you rank this episode? Well, I think we both, um, you know, hit on some points earlier, some problems we have. The A plot in this episode is not strong at all. There, There is really no B plot to speak of. Um the episode to its credit the episode does have some funny lines that that crack me up it does have some funny scenes and uh, you know there definitely were some zingers and one-liners that cracked me up uh but it just did not make up for the the you know the poor a plot and the lack of a b plot uh, a couple other things here i had in my notes is um you know Ephraim's character I've just never been a fan of he just like Tim Conway is a very talented actor but I don't know it was just too much and you know well Margaret had the one zinger there in the beginning but you know she was pretty much the seven of the episode again as you as you mentioned and the other really weird thing to me was why was Amanda Burse and you know Ted McGinley uh, only in the episode for what 60 to 90 seconds of screen time you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I assumed that, that due to the lack of uh, due to the lack of appearances by Marcy, that Amanda Burst was the director of the episode, but that's not the case. <laughs> it was Jerry Cohen. So it it just it felt like they were trying to make an Al and Bud and Ephraim episode. You know, them being this being a, a central episode for them, uh, but they just couldn't really come up with anything for Peg Kelly. Um, Marcy and Jefferson to do so it just to me it just fell flat and although it did have some good one-liners and zingers that I'll give it credit for it just couldn't make up for the 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 problems that I mentioned so I'm going to be I think I'm going to be generous and give it a 2.5 out of 5 uh 2.5 bear costumes out of 5 so and I think that's being generous to be honest (laughs) And, and you know Chris I can't really say much different than you on this episode. The one thing I will say, one thing that, you know, when I looked at this episode and I watched it three times because, you know, I was trying to find something good about it, right? What I came up with, uh, which we didn't talk about uh, during this scene in particular was, I really enjoyed that this was an episode where Al and Bud actually bonded. You know, you don't really see a lot of bonding between Al and Bud. That's a good point. Uh, one episode that comes to mind is uh, Rites of Passage in season six. Yeah. When Al takes Bud to the nudie bar for the first time. Yeah. You know, like where it's like, you know, he's proud of his son. It's like, you know, here, my boy. Right. You know, and he gives him six bucks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like his whole week's paycheck. Uh, so, like, the fact that they're, like, bonding together out in the woods, I thought that that was not something nice to see. You know, again, not that, you know, Married with Children is an episode where you want to have father-son moments and you want to have a hug, right? Because there was no hug. Yeah. But they actually sort of bonded, like, you know, because it's like they're both in this quest, like, proving that they're men and capturing this bear. And that, to me, is, like, the redeeming quality yeah. 
like again, like something nice. And like, I feel if Jamie was still on the podcast, like that's something that, you know, she would have been like, she would have really have zoned on, right? Yeah, I think so too. Uh, but, but other than that, it, it, it's like, you know, like Marcy and Jefferson, like being terrified of being inside a car while it's getting mauled by a, by a bear. Yeah. I mean, like, and the way that they're terrified, I mean, it's one thing, like, if you were out in the open, like, if you were in, stuck in a room with a bear, I could see Jefferson having that reaction, but you're in a car, right? I mean, okay, maybe you don't have a cell phone in 1995, but, I mean, you could start the car and drive, drive away, you know, or, or do so, like do something, but, you know, you're not going to be terrified like that. You know, and again, like, you know, some of these plot holes, it's like, okay, like Al gets the crap kicked out of him by Ray Ray, you know, but, and his gang, but like, here he is, him and Bud, they take on these six guys, like they did back in season six, when they were, when they had the bar fight in uh, Rites of Passage. And then it's like that closing scene with the bear. Like, I mean, it just, that didn't make any sense. I mean, that could have been staged a little differently, I think, to gotten a better laugh. So in answer to your question, I'm going to be generous, but I'm not going to be as generous as you, Chris. I'm going to give this episode two stuffed bears. All right. Fair enough. Reflecting, I, I almost wonder, I, I guess when you're planning a season, you know, as you know, producers and directors and such, I guess you allot so much money for, for this episode and so much for that episode. And, you know, all right, well, we got to spend this to get Terry Bradshaw to be on an episode and we have to spend this amount for, you know, the the Playboy Playmates for, for um, you know, the, the uh, spring break episodes and so on and so forth. I almost wonder if this was just like a filler episode where they're like, all right, well, we have no money to spend on this at all. We're going to reuse this set, <laughs> this Ray Ray set, and we're going to get, uh, you know, a lame stuffed animal suit. You know, it's just like, it just, like, I just wonder if, I wonder if it was somehow a budget issue. Well, I mean, I, I feel like with all the, all the scene changes would have made it at least, you know, you're, you're, you're definitely spending money on the sets. Yeah, right? that's true. That, that's true. It just, it just uh, And you need a circus animal. I mean, you need a bear, too. Yeah, that's you got to pay for I mean, a bear. I, not only that, they had Tim Conway in this episode. So I don't know what it is. It just came right. out. It just came out feeling either like a filler episode or like a like just a cheap episode. But you're right. I mean, they had scene changes they had a bear i mean like an actual bear I, I assume that's not cheap you know plus they had tim conway i would assume you know i would assume tim conway is probably you know costs more than just a regular <laughs> you know extra or you know secondary character you know guest guest star <laughs> so i don't know but whatever it was it missed the mark yep And that's it for this week's review of the Married with Children podcast of Barely Men. Next week on the Married with Children podcast, Team Australia reviews Love Conquers Al. To go out with hot guy named Carlos, Kelly bribes the reluctant bud to keep company for Carlos's cousin Esmeralda by offering bud a date with Fawn. Fawn, Fawn, let's get it on. Fortunately for Bud, Esmeralda turns out to be quite hot. Meanwhile, Al and Peg take Ephraim and Peggy's unseen mother to a marriage retreat. 
So thank you again for tuning in to the Married with Children podcast. And as always, tune in again next week. Same Bundy time, same Bundy channel.